Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and a great multitude were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. He spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But others fell on good ground. And yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever, to, whoever has, to him it will be given. And he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you will see, and not perceive. For the hearts of the people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears lest they should understand with their hearts in turn that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Therefore hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. He who received the seed on stony places is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, but he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation and persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But he who receives the seed on good ground is he who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit some, and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, do we not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. Well, the servants said to him, Do you want us to, then to go and to gather them up? But he said, No. Lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I say to the reapers, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them. 
to gather the wheat into my barn. Now another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is <clears throat> greater than the, ger- the herbs of the- and become a tree. <coughs> Excuse me. It becomes a tree so the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Another parable he spoke to them, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until it was leavened. All these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables. And without a parable, he did not speak to them that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, which would be, by the way, Asaph in Psalm 78, saying, I will open my mouth in parables and I will utter things kept secret from the foundations of the world. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and he went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. So he said to them, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed are the sons of the kingdom, and the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels. And they will gather out of the kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness. And I will cast them into the furnace of fire and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. I'm sorry, is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid, and for joy over it goes and sells all that he has and buys that field again. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, he went out and sold all that he had and he bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels and threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age, The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the rest, or the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire, and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to them, Have you understood all these things? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Well, then he said to him, Therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasures things new and old. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, we recognize this is a tremendous amount of information. But just as you taught it here, we are sitting here underneath uh, this word and seeking to have it minister to us, to open our ears and our eyes, to not fulfill in our own lives that which was spoken in Isaiah 6, but rather, Lord, to be open and available to you to hear what you have to say today. So, God, I pray right now for every one of us, God, open us up. May we be captivated in your word, Lord. May you speak so profoundly and so personally to each of us that clearly we could see your reality and we could cry out, you are so good. So, Lord, now have your way, we pray. We commit this time to you and pray that you would redeem every second now. In Jesus' name, amen. I would say today, as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible have the final say. Not me, not a man, not a position. 
Chapter 13, of course, follows chapter 12, where Jesus had sent out his 12. And while they were out, the Pharisees mount a frontal attack upon him over the issue of the Sabbath. Then at the end of chapter 12, we read Jesus' mother and brothers come for him. Now, Mark makes clear why, because they say that he's working himself mad. He is crazy. He's beside himself. Imagine Jesus having his mother and his brothers come to rescue him from himself. That's what we're dealing with here. In spite of this opposition, Jesus' discipleship program is booming, by the way. And as it grows, there's some things that we start to see. For instance, he and man-made traditions are increasingly now polarized. And there is a chasm between Jesus and those religious leaders. And it becomes very clearly pronounced as they now mount this assault upon Jesus. Tensions are raised now. And for those that are in the sort of religio-political arena, that Jesus now is fracked to the core the very motives now of the current regime. And now Jesus knows that the politic must be addressed. In this chapter, what we see are seven parables directly related. He says the kingdom of heaven is like. Of those seven parables, the first four he's going to teach on a boat. Assumedly Peter's boat. That was at one time Peter's security that he gave over now to become Jesus' stage. And I love it when we hand over what we think is earthly security and watch Jesus make a stage of it. He draws men to him. Of those seven parables, those first four will be taught on the boat. Now, clearly, these guys that are Jesus, that he's just sent out as his ambassadors, they don't get it. I mean, he's speaking in parables of things that transcend 2,000 years, transcend thousands of miles in, in, in culture. And in all of that, we get the idea of these agrarian culture metaphors as he talks about sowing seed and making bread. And when we get this and fishing, things we still understand today. Imagine if Jesus had spoken about the kingdom of heaven as like a computer program. None of us would have gotten it until now. But then Jesus is going to pull these guys aside, go into the house and speak three other parables to him about the kingdom of heaven. And in each of these parables, understand Jesus is teaching and, and the, the things he teaches, just like the metaphors he used, are so profound that they, man, they affect us today. And they are so pertinent. So please hear me in that Jesus will quote from two places. He'll quote from from Isaiah six, where Isaiah sees the Lord with the train of his robe filling the temple and he's sees him on the throne. And by the way, God has this habit of showing you that he's on the throne right before crazy times hit. Because it's important to know when things sort of hit the fan and things get crazy, that you need to know even in all of that, God's not freaked out over it. There's no point where God's going, now what do I do? Wow, look at what Sarah's going through now. Understand God's like, look at I'm in control, Sarah. I'm in control, Gene. I'm in control. And in that, things are going to get crazy, but that doesn't mean they're out of my control here. And in the midst of all of this, Isaiah realizes the situation he's in. He falls to the ground and he says, oh, I am done. I am so done because I, am, I don't belong here. I am a man of an unclean mouth. I dwell among people of an unclean mouth. And this is Israel speaking here. It is a time, by the way, where the northern kingdom now, the kingdom of Israel, has split into two. Ten northern tribes are up there, and they are just about to fall. They will fall through Hezekiah. Uzziah just dies here. We'll see that in chapter 6 of Isaiah. And in all of that, he looks and he goes, man, I'm so unworthy. And an angel comes and touches his lips with a coal. And he says, now you're clean. And then God says, now, who can I send? And Isaiah's like, hey, I'll go. 
Here I am, send me. And I love that because, see, what Jesus did with Isaiah would be something he would do with all of us. And that is, hey, if there's one thing keeping you, I will deal with that one thing. But once I deal with that one thing, I want you ready because I have this for you. And he goes, well, then what do I tell him? He says, tell him this. That they have eyes, but they're not really looking. They have ears, but they're not really listening. They can overhear, but they won't listen. Now, maybe you understand that. I mean, we can sit on a train and there are a whole bunch of conversations taking place. You can be in a, in a crowded restaurant and a whole bunch of conversations take place. And usually among the crowd, there's one person that you're sitting with that tends to be like, they're like listening for the conversation they want to listen to. Now, me, I'm, there's so much usually going on inside my head. It's just all background noise to me. But there's, and then they'll be like, can you believe they said that? And they're like, who's the they and what's the they, what's the thing they said? Now, there's always seems to be one of those in each crowd, you know, and they're like, well, I just can't believe it. And you're like, I, whoa, are there people here? And you're, they're, they're in the, under, the idea that we can overhear but not listen. And we can overview things. Have you ever gone and looked for something and it was right in front of you, but you're so used to just seeing it as a blank canvas now, sort of two-dimensional that you don't even realize? You'd rather look for your keys in the fridge than you would though they're right in front of you. You just don't see them anymore because you oversee everything, but you're not really looking. And, and understand what, G, what Jesus is doing is he's pulling back that same text now, 720 years later, 730 years later. And he's going, look at Isaiah said this about people. He said it about his own generation, but he said it about this one, too. He says, you know what? It's because of their hearts. Now, please understand, there's the key. He says, because their hearts have grown dull. They have done this. Because of that, they just don't want to look anymore. And they just don't want to listen anymore. And you understand this. If you have a friend and they're an addict, or you have somebody and you know they're just driven to some form of thing that's just going to drive them to the ground, you, you sound like a broken record after a while, right? You just kind of, you're repeating it, and you're repeating it, and they're like, I know what you're going to say next, blah, 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 blah. They're not even listening. They'll hear your words, but it's like, wah, 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 wah. That's kind of what's going on, really. And understand, for your ears and for your eyes, that's only part of the faculty. Your brain has a library that helps you because what it does is it says, that's Bruno and this is a chair and this is ground and this is safe and that's not safe. That's all happening in your brain, though your eyes are sort of feeding the information, your brain chooses to do something with it. Same thing with your ears. There are certain sounds you hear. You know that that sound says run from that dog or get away from that car. And you know there's other sounds that say embrace that person. That's a friend. I mean, your brain does that, though your ears feeding the information. And what Jesus is telling us here, he goes, look at the people that are out there right now. This multitude of people. Yeah, they'll get, the, they'll hear the words. And intellectually, maybe they'll even kind of understand the words, but they're not going to be willing to do this understand thing he speaks of. The word he uses for understand here, and I won't give you a lot of Greek words, but it's a simple one, is the word suniemi. Try that. Sun, iemi. Now, sun means together, like synergy or synthetic. It means putting things together. Iemi means to carry, to pick, or embrace. In this case, the idea would be to take it and to pull it into you. In the case of forgiveness, by the way, the word is afiemi, same iemi, by the way. Afi means away from or out of. And the idea is what Jesus does in genuine forgiveness is he takes that thing and he picks it up and he throws it away. So it's the opposite. 
So what's happening is Jesus' words are going forth, and as they're going forth, people are actually making the choice at this moment. Are they going to take them and embrace them and put them in their heart and say, I want to do something with this? Or are they just going to go, "Mm -hmm, yeah, I get it. I get the words. I understand what that means. This is sadly enough. Most of the people, and I remind you, Jesus is not speaking to Gentiles here. He's speaking to the people that are called God's people here. And I get that. You can stand in a church and you can speak to people who've confessed Christ, who are, are banking on that, you know, are banking on that altar call, who have said yes and have prayed a prayer. And in that, they kind of get the information and they do this, but there's really no intent to put any legs on it. They just go, well, that'll be good information. I'm sure I could tell someone else that at a time when they need it. But we're not doing it. And unfortunately, Jesus says, this is nothing new. It was happening 700 plus years ago. Isaiah wrote about it. It's happening now and it happens today. But if we really embraced what Jesus wants to teach us in these seven parables, I think it would actually heal people in this room. What's going on in our hearts? The confusion, the anger, the frustration. Well, he's got it all to address here. But it would also leave you walking out of here so thankful for who he is. Well, listen, that's your choice. That's not mine. My choice on this is I'm going to give it to you straight. Your choice is what are you going to do with it now? Well, listen, Jesus starts with this parable. The parable is a sower, and he sows as all men seem to do in the Middle East. It's tear farming. In other words, terrace farming, things kind of run in layers, and you throw the seed indiscriminately. As you throw the seed indiscriminately, it's going to land on different soil types. The variable is the soil type. In one case, of course, it falls by the wayside. We might say it falls on the pavement. On the second case, it falls in stony ground. The ground is there, but it's not very deep. It's really shallow. In the third case, it isn't shallow, but unfortunately it's already occupied, and it's occupied by weeds. In the fourth case, it's actually good soil. And Jesus never says one quadrant will be bigger than another, but he says these are four responses you should expect. And then he actually tells us the field is the world, that the soils are the conditions of men's heart, and the seed is the word of God. The seed doesn't change, by the way. It isn't like seed was better in one case than another. And so listen, this is what he says. Hear me in this. He goes, now, because the question in all of this is, this is how, and understand, this is the first of the seven, and it's the one most developed, because it's the longest of them. But understand, he says, this is how it starts as my word goes forth. He says, in the first case, notice it says that was the seed, as the seed goes upon the heart, it says they don't understand it. Now, understand, the word understand here is the word we spoke about, suniemi. It isn't that they didn't get it, where it was like, uh, it doesn't make any sense to me. There wasn't a willingness to embrace it and connect it where it needs to be connected. So though we can put it in the head and it can sit in the head so we can counsel someone else, it's not making it to the heart where decisions are really being made. And he says, you know what happens as a result of that? The birds of the air, who he likens, by the way, to Satan, says, come and just take the seed because it's not being used anyways. Look at what's happening is, yeah, we'll let it land on the surface, but it's not going to go below the surface. In the end of it all, yeah, it can sit on the surface, but I'm not going to put it someplace where it can grow, where it can really germinate inside of me and do something with it. He says, you know what happened? The enemy's like, well, then that's just food. Hear me on that. He relates the birds of the air to that. Why is that important? Because the birds of the air have never gotten a positive write-up in Scripture. 
It was the birds of the air that in Deuteronomy it says, hey, if you really want to bail on me, lose paraphrase, well then expect what happens is that you guys will just die from this because I'm the one who provides and loves you and protects you. And if you want to run out from me, you're not going to get my provision or protection and you'll become food. Your corpses will become food for the birds of the air. When David is there and he's sort of trash-talking with, with Goliath, and Goliath started it, by the way, and Goliath started, he's like, I'm going to feed your corpse to the birds of the air. When it was prophesied about Echav and his wife Jezebel, it says that those, you know, you're going to die in the city and the, and the dogs are going to eat your flesh and if you die outside in the, in the country, the birds of the air will pick at your flesh. Now, does that sound cuddly to you? And if it does, we should probably talk afterwards. Birds of the air, in the simplest sense, were the ones who feasted on dead things. That'll become important when we get to another parable as well. He goes, so in the first case, it's like, look at, here's the message. God really loves you. Not warm, fuzzy, just wants to hug you, but committed sacrifice and surrender. And this is the deal. You stand guilty before him, and he knows that, but he doesn't want you to. And that's going to be your choice now, not his. He's made the motion because you couldn't. Real love takes the first step. And so what happens is he chooses and says, I will take your guilt, and I'll put it upon myself, and I'll die on the cross. Kill me if you have to. But if, listen, if that's what it takes for you to be with me, I will do it. And we can nod and go, yeah, I get the information, but what difference does it make if you're not willing to connect it? He goes, that's the first. In the second case, what you have is actually somebody that responds. So if we were to put this in the sense that we all went out and what we we're going to do is we're, going to, we're playing a whole new work. We're going to go out and we're going to all go share Jesus. We're going to share the gospel today. The sad thing is three of the four responses seem positive from the initial. I mean, in one case, someone looks at you and goes, oh, you're stupid. You're an idiot. You're, you know, how out of touch are you with that archaic book and all that? Well, you get that. That's the first quadrant response. I have no interest in connecting that to my life. That stuff's fairy tales. You're like, whatever. Well, then you get where that is. Jesus is like, get over it. That's going to happen. That's actually the least painful. That's just the most awkward. In the second case, he says, here's the situation. The seed falls in. But hear me, hear me, please, please hear me. Don't, I should say, listen, not just overhear. He says, it's shallow. He says, yeah, there's a response, but there's no roots. So what happens is, is that that person says, okay, I'll have that. I don't want to have, you know, I'm afraid I got my girlfriend pregnant. I'm afraid I've got a warrant. I think I'm going to go to jail. Things are really rough right now. I might have AIDS, whatever it is. I will take it. I will take it. Give me this Jesus thing. If what this means is somehow good stuff's going to happen, if this is basically the new lottery ticket, I'm in. So they cash it in. And so what happens at this point is, hey, you know what? She's cute. She's in the choir. I want to be part of this. You know, or yeah, that's a cool church. Young people go there. Let's do that. You know, it's something. You get caught into it. And somewhere down the line, you got caught in the emotion of the moment. And you, yeah, you raised your hand or whatever. And you prayed that prayer. And it sounded so good. But unfortunately, it sprouts spring up. And we people call them firecracker Christians. It just seems like it's everything's yippee. Yeah, woohoo. But the moment it says, but the problem is there's no roots. Unfortunately, so much of Christianity is this, shallow Christianity. It sprouts up really quick. It looks really cute. Everything's kind of happy. But he says, here's the problem. It can't endure the sun. Only something with deep roots can endure the sun. 
Now, look, at we've planted some things in our back garden. And I do that a lot. Actually, the we is, is me. My kids are like, no chance. I'm helping you with that. But, you know, you get it. And it's like, and it's like I, there's certain things you plant that are like herbs and so forth. I'm big on basil. I'm big on mint. Very big on mint because I like fresh mint tea. And, and so I'm planting these things. And it's like I know you've got to plant these things deep. And if, otherwise, what happens? As soon, the moment the sun comes out, man, those plants are gone. And this is what Jesus related to. Is he just, the great thing is, after he finishes the parable, immediately his disciples are like, uh, mm, uh, I didn't get it. Aren't you thankful? These are the guys that are going to change the world, and they're not getting it either. He goes, so listen, in the second case, they sprout up. But when the persecution, this thing that's like the sun that frazzles it, is persecution and tribulation that come because of the word. It says that's what kills them. The problem was, they really didn't have much to start with. They were all show. It was all on the outside. None of the stuff on the inside that really establishes it. So people ask, do you really believe God created everything? Do you really believe that there's one way to God and it's Jesus? Like he's the only one who volunteered. He's the one who paid the price for my sins. All other kinds of people did all kinds of other things. But he's the one who said, look, it, I'll take this step. I love you and I want you and I'll pay your price. All I'm asking is you to receive this and come follow me. And I realize he is unique and he's in his own place. That's the whole holy thing. I go, this is a really painful thing to watch because you watch somebody. So what happens, we go out and we share and Dennis comes back and he goes, hey, I want you to meet our new brother and here he is, Bubba. And Bubba's like, yeah, woo! Let's do some more songs and let's do some cool stuff and yeah. But the moment he starts getting, all of a sudden, the moment like something happens where people are like, do you really believe that Bible stuff? He's like, I don't really know. I'm going to back off on this. And then the next thing, he's just gone. And they go, they come up as quick as they leave. Unfortunately, here's the good news: is that soil can deepen in time. It isn't like that's the end of the story, but for the moment, that's what it looks like. But I'll tell you the most painful one's the third one for me. Because in the third one, he goes, it actually lands and it does grow roots. So there is something cool going on. And you don't normally see it at the beginning. There's the problem. Let's face it. You watch somebody and they've been a 30-year-old sinner and they just give their life to Christ. They have 30 years of habits and a brand new mindset that they're trying to figure out how to work it. Lots, lots change, but sometimes those changes are slow. But in the third case, it says it's the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. So you know what happens? See, in the second case, they come up and they're like, hey, but then they're gone so quick, you almost didn't have enough time to develop an intimate relationship with them. But in the third case, you watch them die slowly because the term is that they're being strangled. So here we are. We go out and share. Let's just we'll kind of put it out as numbers. Let's say that Mark and I were like, we're going to go out and we're going to start something. We're going to go to Gork or somewhere, wherever, and we're going to go share Jesus in Ireland. So we go out and we share with 100 people. Of the 100 people, wouldn't it be nice if it was this way to start? 25 of those people are like, shine you, whatever, goofy American, and what are you doing with that guy? Right, so 25 are that way. And then, then, then another 25 are like, okay, sure. And we're like, really? Okay. And boom, right? But then you look and you're like, ah, but then they're gone as fast as they came. And we kind of look at each other and wonder what's going on. Then another 25 actually go, yeah, well, you know what, I'll take that. But they grow a little slower. We're being patient. Well, you know, God was patient with us, and we're going to watch them. But then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, but you know what, my, my work's kind of taking the best of me. You know, it's like, well, i got to do this other thing. And, you know, I, I don't always get Sundays free. So, you know, I, I 
I think I need to take some more me time. And I need to really, and we watch this. And you know what the problem is? When you start talking with a person like that, they don't hear you. Because you're like, you really don't see, because you know the first thing that leaves is your joy. You're aware of that. And we watch this. And, and, and Mark and I, we've been around the block a few times, and we watch this and we go, bro, you don't even see what's going on in your life, do you? You don't even see how horrible this is. And they're like, no, 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 things are cool, we're good, we're good, Jesus is still cool, hallelujah, whatever, right? And you watch this, and what you watch is, is that the cares mean you, get, you just get kind of afraid. Maybe somebody did something stupid, and you know, you embrace that, and you can't get, and what happens is, all of a sudden, it's like, Jesus just like, he, he just gets in the back seat, and then he gets in the boot, and then he gets left in the garage, and then he's somewhere else at this point, and you're just trying to pull off with life. And we watch this and we're like, what did we do, right? What did we do? And we would blame ourselves. I start thinking, well, what did, what did I do that made him leave? Jesus is like, look at, I warned you this is what's going to happen. There are going to be those, they're going to break your heart because they look so great and so vibrant. And then they're so gone. And then you watch others and they just kind of drip out and they drip out and they drip out. And you watch this and you beg them, please, you don't even see what's going on. And you watch the weeds just choke them. And the problem was, is that when they received Jesus, hear me, when they received Jesus, there was already too many other things in there that Jesus had to just become part of instead of become the whole. You know, so it's like Jesus is my business, Jesus is my thing. But truth be told, Jesus has to reinvent us from the ground up. That doesn't mean, hey, let's all quit our jobs and get on welfare. What that does mean is that we need to let Jesus take over the whole garden. Right. But then, hey, there's good news. So we went from, you know, we went from zero to 75 people that responded. Twenty five of those were gone. There was 50. And then of that 50, another 25 dried died slowly. So then what we saw then was there were there were another 25 that were left. And we look and go, well, we got that, which is kind of where we're looking at. And he goes, but that other 25, they produce. You know what they produce? Oh, some cases a hundredfold. Some cases 60. Some cases 30. So if we went with, okay, so if we went with the middle one, we'll go with 60. 60, 25, what is that? That's 3,500. So our, um, so we go with there, and we kind of look, and we go 1,500. So we go, okay, well, all of a sudden the church bloomed into 1,500 people. And now we're writing books on how to start a church. But here's the problem. We get to the second parable. The second parable, he says, in this case, a guy goes and he sows the seed, but then the enemy comes at night and he sows darnels. He sows a thing that looks like wheat, and it grows up like wheat. But notice it says, when the wheat started to produce fruit, that was when they started to surface. I think that's interesting. When the wheat started to produce fruit, then you see this. And all of a sudden, the servants start to look and go, whoa, 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 whoa. Didn't, didn't you? And he, they don't say it about themselves, didn't we go plant the good seed? He looked at the, the master and said, hey, hey, didn't you plant good seed in here? What's this? And you really can't tell until the fruit. Because what happens with the fruit is Darnell is poisonous and it turns black. 
So it looks very different, but it doesn't look different until it produces fruit. It just looks like a stalk of wheat. So all of a sudden it's like, wow, look at all this wheat. Look at this great field. And then, whoa, this is rough. Listen, listen to this response. Because they say, do you want us to go pluck that stuff up? And, and Jesus, speaking as the master, says, no, 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 don't you dare. Because if you want to pluck it up, what's going to happen is, is you're going to pluck up good seed too by mistake. You know, there are quote-unquote ministries out there and their whole thing is to go find out how everybody's from Satan and how everyone's compromising, everyone's this and everyone's that. And it's like, they call them discernment, but I get really concerned about the discernment that's being used because there's never grace in this. What it is is, well, I saw this guy once with a picture with this guy, so clearly he must be from the Illuminati, or this guy clearly is associated with this guy. It's like, hey, look, it, I just want to warn you, if I had the opportunity to stand on a stage with a bunch of false teachers, I would still do it if I got to teach the truth. And if you would think that means I'm in league with them, well, no, it's not. The truth is, is that I would be there probably refuting a lot of what's being said elsewise. The whole point is, is that the, the issue is let's make sure we get the truth to people because they need to hear the truth. So here's the problem. All of a sudden, then the church isn't 1,500 people. The church is 5,000 people or whatever. And we kind of look, but the problem is in the midst of it, as the fruit starts to show, then you start seeing these other things. And like, what is this poison? What is this thing over happening over here? How did this person get to this? And what happened with this? And you start looking and going, what just happened? Mark, what are we doing? And Jesus says, I warned you. This is the second parable. Jesus says to those, as he speaks to the master, he speaks to the servants and says, hey, don't pull this up yet. You just invest in the field. Don't worry, there's a time coming and this is going to get split and it'll be handled. It's just not yours to handle. And when a brand new Christian comes to, a brand new person comes to Christ, often they can look like a piece of, like a bad wheat. And what happens is that the Lord starts to change it. Teach the word, hold your course, stay on your face, trust my Holy Spirit, and watch me work here. And you're like, yeah, but, but wouldn't it be better if we just, hey, listen, everyone, this is what's going on? God's like, stop it, because you're going to hurt innocent people in this do this instead get on your face and do what i tell you and you're like yes lord now there's a second parable and he goes let me tell you about the third one so here it is the church has grown to this big place and all of a sudden there's these implants and you're like what in the world now now we do have very clear illustrations about and in instructions in the, in the epistles about how to deal with people who wolf unfortunately anytime you have to actually deal with something like that it's amazing how, well, anyways, you're really the bad guy. Even if what you're doing is trying to keep your family safe. He goes, here's the third one. It's like a mustard seed. Insignificant when it looks. When it starts, it looks so insignificant. People are like, this is really a seed? What is this? And then you go, you know what? You throw it in the ground, and it grows inordinately large. And he says, it grows so big that the birds of the air make their nests in the tree. Now, did he already tell us what the birds of the air were in earlier parables? What was the birds of the air before this? It was Satan. And what was the bird what were the birds of the air doing? Stealing the seed. Do you remember that? Should we be happy that the birds of the air are making their nests in the structure of this thing that's grown? We should be very unhappy about that. They're flesh eating Steals, seed-stealing beings 
that exist for these purposes or, and to poop on you. you get that. But and the reason I say that is, is that when he talks about the third, he goes, listen, it starts this way and you're going to get all these responses. And then it starts to grow and seems a bit established. And then you're going to see implants and then it's going to grow really large. And then the enemy himself is going to actually set up headquarters in the structure of this thing. How do you feel about the kingdom of heaven now? And he goes, oh, there's one other one here before I go inside and tell you more. It's also like leaven. Here's the problem. Jesus has already taught us leaven's like sin. Leaven, do you know what leaven is? Leaven's yeast. You put it in bread, you knead it in bread, and the whole bread gets bigger. But it doesn't get bigger because there's more bread. It gets bigger because there's more air. See, what yeast does is it decays, and that death causes air pockets to happen, and it makes this thing no more mass, but it gets bigger now. And it's full of air. It's not a good thing. As a matter of fact, when we start talking about having fellowship, we're supposed to do with the unleavened bread of a sincere heart, of a genuine faith. Not these things. And he goes, no, I want to warn you. She's going to come and she's going to sneak it in. And she says, in three measures of meal. And why three measures? Because the only other place where that's used was when Abraham actually saw the angels come right before they destroyed Sodom. It's like, hey, look, the Lord's coming. And I want to stop here first. And you realize this was to say, I welcome you. I welcome you, Lord, to whatever it is you need to do. And all of a sudden you go, those three meals are now, she comes and she sneaks it in. Now, if you're sneaking it in, it can't be good, right? She's sneaking it in. She's working until the whole thing is infected. Now, listen, you start, we go out, we go share, and we have four different responses. <clears throat> three of them seem good, but in the end of it all, only one of them really is going to be, is going to endure. And then we look and this thing grows and as it starts to get established, we start to see this infection inside of these things that are implants. And as we start to see that, we go, oh, no. And then it grows to where the structure, where they're setting up now their headquarters in the campuses. And you go, oh, my goodness. And then it goes from that to where the whole thing seems so infected that you go, there's no leavenless part of this. Now, aren't you thankful that there are seven and not four parables? Because which one of us wants that? Hey, who wants to join that church? Come on. You know what there is? There are hypocrites and there are implants from the enemy. And there are people setting up their headquarters that are going to try to steal the word of God and tell you it's all a lie. Welcome to church. Be warmed and filled. And I would imagine at that point I go and sit inside with my tail between my legs and I'm like, wow, what did I sign up for? And it was in there. The guys are like, I didn't even, uh, I, I know you got through four now, but I didn't get the second one. Now, he's already explained the first. I didn't get the second. So he goes, well, here's the way it works. But there is a day that's coming. And trust me, I've got this handled. I've got this handled. And I went, man, why, why would I want to be a part of this? Jesus goes, can I tell you a couple more parables, please? Now we're sitting with those who have left all to follow him. These aren't just people who are nodding and getting the information. These are people who are really now, you can see there's a commitment in their heart. They're not fair weather or, in our case, bad weather Christians, you know. Fair weather means you're going to be gone, you know, or whatever. But it's like, listen, please hear me on this. Because let me tell you what the kingdom is like, guys. Please hear me on this. Because now Jesus is having this intimate talk in a house. Do you know what the kingdom of heaven's like? It's like treasure. Everyone has treasure. It doesn't mean it's the same thing. If you can get a pair of Ronaldo shoes to give to Bruno, 
I'm just kidding. Just kidding, bro. You know, whatever it is, there are things that you treasure that are actually kind of universally expensive, if you will. And there are other things that are treasured just because they're intimate to you and they're sentimental to you. I get that. He goes, but please hear me. This guy was walking in a field and he saw treasure. And he wanted it so bad that he gave up everything. It was so important to him that nothing else mattered. It was so important to him that nothing else mattered. Everything else he had was worthless in comparison. Everything else that he had was worthless in comparison. So he said, you know what? If I have to buy this whole field just to get you, I'll do it. So he gave up everything so he could buy the field so he could get the treasure. He goes, can I tell you another one? The kingdom of heaven is like a guy who was looking for the pearl, great precious pearls. And he found one that he was like, whoa, that is the pearl. That's it. And it is so important. I want this thing so bad. Nothing else matters. Nothing else. Nothing else that I could own. Nothing else that I could have. Matter of fact, all, hear me, all that I have means nothing compared to this thing. So he sells everything else, gets rid of everything else, just so he could purchase this pearl. Now, we're sitting intimate with Jesus here. And things change now. What's the difference? Well, some will say, well, that, what that means is that God says the kingdom of heaven, so we have to give up everything to get it. But here's the problem with that is the word purchase. There's my problem with that. As a matter of fact, I can tell you that in 1 Corinthians, it tells us you were bought, in 2 Corinthians, you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. You were bought with a price. Therefore, don't become slaves of men. You were purchased. There I have. But I'll tell you what. What Peter said when he was speaking to Simon, and he says, so your money perished because the guy actually offers the money for the idea of, give, of granting the ability of someone to have the Holy Spirit. And he says, your money perished with you because you thought that you could purchase the gift of God. Peter says, listen, you can't buy this. So what can it be then? It isn't me giving up everything to purchase the kingdom of heaven. Well, then what's the only route left? Well, he already told us what the field was. The field was the world. He already told us that. So somebody was walking in the world and he saw something so precious. He says, I want that. And I'll give up everything else to get it. Do you get what it is? It's you. There's the difference. You see, God wants you so bad. You are so precious in the sight of God. You are so precious that only one person in the whole world, could, in the universe, could afford you, and it cost him everything else to get you. And he didn't ever regret it. Nor does Jesus go, oh, I think I got a bad deal here. Can you imagine? A treasure can be, pulled, can be multiple. But pearl is the individual. And pearl, by the way, is also a, a, a Gentile thing because it's made out of, it comes in shellfish. It's not something the Jews would necessarily really shine for. Please hear me in this. Because he's got one more to get to our seventh in this. He goes, but this is what it looks like. Those first four. 
You've got people pretending. You've got people kind of half in or part in, and they're all going to fade out somewhere in all of this. And you're going to look, and you're going to go, man, what in the world happened? This seemed to be so vibrant and crazy, and all kinds of stuff was happening. And now, what in the world is going on? And you wonder, I mean, you know this, because you've seen people that seem like heroes of the faith, and you're like, whatever happened to so-and-so? What? How could they live that kind of life now? How could they be like this now? And it's like, look, it, I'm not here to tell you, hey, those people are just going to hell, because that's not for me to choose. That's for God to decide. But I can tell you this. Jesus warned us, this is what's going to happen. And there would be implants and people go, well, I went out with a Christian and let me tell you what they're like. And like, how did you know they were a Christian? Because they said they were. Well, Zane would say he's a Christian if he got some form of traction from it. Some of you are like, yeah, I know I dated that guy. You know, I get that. But then it's like, yeah, but it's also going to be, well, well, how can it really be Christianity when, you know, there's this Christian group and they're all about not, you know, they don't believe in the Bible and there's this Christian group and they don't want anything to do with Jesus and they don't believe that he really died or he really came or that he really resurrected or any of that. We don't believe any of that stuff. Jesus says, I warned you. So the whole thing seems so infected. You're like, well, then why would I want to do this if it was about that? See, what the first four all have in common is that they are the political. Jesus says, I want to warn you. The politic will always be messed up because it involves people. It always will. How do you explain the Crusades? How do you explain the, the, the Inquisitions? How do you explain it? a lot of the stuff that took place back in the, from the 500s all the way through? How do you explain it? I'm like, well, I can tell you. How do I explain it? I have two things to say. Matthew and 13. You can do the rest of the math on your own. He goes, but let me tell you about what happens beyond that. Because there's more than just the political. There's the personal. And that's why I'm a Christian. I'm not a Christian because the church was so darn cool. Matter of fact, most of us, those of us who have given our life to Christ later in life, we never thought the church was cool. And we were kind of amazed that we wound up in one. Nonetheless, here is a pastor. It's like, oh my goodness, if my friends heard this, they would laugh me to scorn. But man, if you really think that all this is about is joining a politic or a movement like that, and you are so missing it. Jesus like, I want to warn you, that is always going to be corrupt because it involves people. It's going to be corrupt throughout. But I want to warn you of this, too. That never stopped me from loving you and that never stopped me from wanting you. And this has got to be about you and me or this is, you're never going to make it. You're going to wind up being one of those other quadrants by the time we're done. But I want you, and I, I died on a cross for you, and that's what you have to choose. And then you'll come in broken, just like everybody else at church, and you'll let me change you. That's what I'm looking for. People are like, well, there are messed up people at the church. I'm like, yeah, that's really strange. There are sick people at a hospital, too. Not everybody at the hospital is a doctor, and even doctors get sick. The good news is, is you don't feel like you're going to, oh, I can't go to the hospital. I'm too sick. People are like, well, I'm too messed up to go to church. And I'm like, well, actually, I think the opposite. The issue will never be whether you're too sick. The issue is whether you're willing. Whether you're willing to really let the great physician do the work he wants to do. Well, there's only one thing left then. Well, what about the, like, where's the justice in that? What about all that other stuff? All those implants and those false people and all this other stuff. He goes, let me just tell you, let me give you one more parable. It's like a dragnet. You guys know this. You guys are fishermen. You throw it down. You, you know, you're going to get all kinds of stuff in your net. You're going to get a boot. You're going to get a, these days you'll get a tire. You'll get whatever. It's amazing what you'll pull up in your net. 
But in the end, there's good fish in there too. And you don't just go, well, let's just throw the whole net and everything in it away. He says, there are really good fish in there. And those, don't worry, I'll take care of that. It's not your job. But I'll take care of that. And I will take the good fish and I know where they go. And I'll know what to do with the rest of it. I know what to do. I've got this handled. So you need to trust me on this. You need to back off and stop overthinking because that just means you're under praying. And I, and I want you to get to that place where you're like, let's get back to where it was just you and me. And you actually had compassion on losers like yourself. You actually cared about people who were struggling like yourself. You actually looked at other people and you said, you know what, that person's to stay away from because they're contagious and dangerous right now. And you meant it because your relationship with me was so important. None of the other mattered. So I get why he does this. The crowd out there, they see the politic. And by the way, Jesus is standing against the politic that will have him killed. But we're called God's people. He goes, I warned you. Now, if you are anything like me and you see that and you realize this stuff is messed up, well, then let me say, make a difference with me. Let's be different than that. Let's choose to be different. Now, that may mean that what you're going to do is you're going to not fire back when they when people do crazy stuff, because we read, by the way, in first Peter, you were called to suffer, to follow in the footsteps of Christ, who when he was reviled, didn't revile in return. And when he was threatened, he didn't. Or when he suffered, he didn't threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges justly. Jesus didn't just not fire back and suck it in. Jesus handed it over because he knew that it wasn't his job to judge this part. And I'm going to back off and say, listen, today as we go to prayer, my God really, really wants to get a hold of you and me today. He goes, what is it you're holding on to? Is it is your Christianity first and foremost about the fact that you really are that precious jewel, that you really are that precious pearl? Because if you know that you're that loved and that real, you can endure the rest. Hey, you know what it's like, most of you, prayerfully all of you, to be in love. And you know what it's like when that happens, that everything else really kind of is small in comparison? All the problems at work and the crazy people and the guy that cuts you off or the person who snakes your seat on a train or whatever. And that stuff just means so little in comparison when your heart's in the right place. So the question really is, where do we want to put our heart in this? And I do want to make a difference, and I pray you do too. But the only way to make a difference is to start by being one. You've known that, right? Trying to yell and to wait till somebody gets up and changes something makes no sense to me. But if we're going to really see a difference, we need to be it. And that starts, by the way, with being bold again about what it really means to be a Christian. Could you imagine if people actually said that being ba- one of the base things about being a Christian, fundamental things, was that we actually told other people about it? Where we couldn't really function as a proper Christian if we weren't really able to be open about our faith? How weird it would be. Think about how the government would be kind of struggling with that when they try to tell you to shut up. And you're like, actually, it's fundamental in my faith. So as we go to prayer. Hey, look at Maybe you've been. Whoa, hi. Maybe you've been a second quadrant Christian or whatever. I'm using the term Christian because I don't want to, you know, you got it. 
where you kind of took it and you, but you were shallow and you sprung up and you kind of got persecuted or things become troubled. That's tribulation. And because of that, people are trying to make you choose sides and all kinds of stuff. And in all that, you withered. Well, here's the good news today. Lynn, let's pray that God add more soil. Deepen the faith. Maybe you've been one of those people and maybe you're at right now where really, to be honest, you're just struggling to stay alive right now because so many things are choking you and you know it. And you just don't want to die in front of other people. Well, what if God totally changed that today? Like God, we confess, God, this is where I'm at. But I want to be one of those fourth quadrant Christians. I want to be one of those people that are really full on You know, I receive this and I apply it. I take it and I embrace it to myself to change my life and my heart and the decisions and values. That's where I want to be today. Because otherwise we could walk out of here and be like the first quadrant where we kind of nodded and agreed with the information, but then let it go in one ear and out the other by the time we're done. And if you've not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ today, well, that's the choice you have to make. But it's not my choice. I've made mine. (laughs) Would you pray with me? Lord, I know that there is always going to be on earth Problems among the politic. I mean, we expect it in the world. But I can overlook it in the church. And it's so much easier to isolate and criticize than it is to integrate and influence. But I pray today that that would change. For us to make the hard choice here. To be a part of that. To be the change. You've told me in 1 Corinthians 6.20, I was bought at a price. 1 Corinthians 7.23, I was bought at a price. But sometimes I forget how radical the price was. And I confess to you that there are times, God, where you just see this lack of commitment among the mass. And I understand why what you taught in the mass versus what you taught to those who really were so much smaller of a group that followed, that really chose to follow you without concern over what they would lose, but rather over just you being the thing they want to gain. And we recognize that as long as we walk here on earth, there will always be those that have a problem because we believe your word. There will always be those who are going to sort of flick their, their nose at us because we really believe that you are who you say you are. But if there is anyone in here, God, that right now their faith is shallow, they were okay to have a response, but only because they were kind of taught something that was sort of easy-go-lucky, non-trial oriented thing you promised in the world we would have troubles but to cheer up because you've overcome the world 
And I pray right now for every person here that may be struggling because they're really not rooted in love like they should be and rooted in you, Jesus, with really attached to the foundation like they need to be for this thing to be built right in their own hearts. So, Lord, I pray that you would today transform. Deepen our faith that can withstand any persecution and trial. And for those, God, right now who are, they're just, the, the joy leaves them more and more each day because somewhere in all this they see themselves being strangled. Maybe they don't even see it, but they, they feel it. It's the cares. It's the living by what ifs. It's the so being stuck on this temporary world that we forget. That if you can handle the eternal, this shouldn't be a problem at all for you. But also the distractions of this world, the things that are quick cells. God, I pray for my own heart. There would be nothing planted but what you would plant there. Nothing to choke. Nothing to suffocate. And for any who have really struggled or suffered greatly because of the implants the enemy has sought in in their history, planted among things when it starts to bear fruit, (coughs) Lord, heal them from that today. For those that are confused because on the internet or because on something that's called a ministry or whatever, it clearly stands proper against all of this, all of the things that you've made so clear to them in your word. And yet it seems to have funding and popularity or whatever. God, I pray that you would even today purify our hearts from all of that trash. For those who have suffered because of the leaven of things like gossip and hypocrisy, false humility, and they themselves have been affected and infected, God, I pray you purge and heal today. And bring us back to that place where we see ourselves is the one thing you would give everything else up for. And rest that there will be a day when you know how to sort at the right time that which is yours and that which is not. Give us the joy in being yours and the privilege of being used to draw others to that. And right now, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if, if today in this room you've never accepted the gift of Jesus, and you may not have understood a lot, or maybe you did, but you know that there is a choice to make. Will you accept this payment Jesus made for you on the cross? His death so that all your guilt could be properly paid for His resurrection to offer you a new life with Him as your Lord and the architect of your reinvention. And today, I'm going to pray a prayer. I ask you to listen. And if you agree... I ask you to give a confident and resounding Amen. And what you're saying is, yes, I agree. Let those words be my words now. And here it is. God in heaven, 
I'm a sinner. Just like all men are sinners, I am too. And with that, I stand guilty before you in my own merit. But I do really believe that Jesus did die on the cross for me to pay for my sins and raise again. So, in light of that, if what you really do is just give me a choice to say yes to that, I say yes to that. Declaring Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. I say yes and say, well, cleanse me then. Make me innocent. I'm yours. But please, don't let me be something goofy and and insecure. Don't let me be something shallow or convoluted. But make me wholly yours as you desire. I'm yours. I take your payment for me. In Jesus' name, if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen. Lord, you've heard our prayers today. You know the issues in our heart, and I pray we would walk out of here different people, blessed and encouraged and strengthened and reminded again, this is all about us and you. In Jesus' name, amen.